Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 273 and this episode is with lead academy sports scientist at Burnley Football Club, Simon Whitehead. Simon comes on and as always we discuss his background and his career. We then go into some detail around um, how he made or also makes currently decisions on his next step in his career. I think that's something that a lot of listeners will take from. Um, take a lot from in terms of when an opportunity comes up, some of the things that go through Simon's mind and orders of importance. Then we talk about the demands of an academy sports scientist. So anyone that is currently studying, um, that has an experienced life as a sports scientist in football, Simon gives some detail on what that looks like, what the days look like, what some of the challenges look like throughout the day. Um, So you get a real insight into what it involves in his role. And then he also goes into how he has learned to use data that he collects to inform his practice, something that we've talked about a lot. We mentioned it in the previous episode with Joe Club on um, using data effectively and also the recent episode with Ben Rosen as well. But Simon gives a, a great perspective on this. And also he talks about the differences between clubs and roles with more resources um, and also clubs and roles with less resources as well and how that will actually impact the use of data as well. So plenty to take away from this one. Now that the new year is under underway, we are going to be running our first networking event on Thursday the 25th of January. That's going to be at Ewell Park, the home of Blackburn Rovers from 6 till 9pm. We've got three of Blackburn's staff presenting on the night. Under-21 physical performance coach of Blackburn, Rob Pullin, Head of Academy Sports Science at the club, Russ Wrigley. And also first-team athletic performance coach, Adam Yates. They're all going to be presenting for us. Tickets are still available for the event. So go to footballfitfed.com, click networking events or shop, and then networking events. You'll be able to get your tickets there. Depending on when you're listening to the episode, as this episode goes out, there are early bird tickets still available. Um, after a certain date, that goes on to full price. But make sure if you come in with a colleague or a friend on the website, there is an option of purchasing two tickets for a slightly cheaper price as well. So make sure you check that out. We've had um, some great feedback on plenty of coaches that are going to be coming from the region as well. So a great chance to network with loads of coaches from the northwest and beyond as well so hopefully we will see you there just before we dive into the episode with simon i just want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors the good prep the good prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh ready to eat chef cut meals straight to your door they offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals current activity level and schedule the good prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a huge thank you to Hytro. This podcast is brought to you by Hytro, the number one BFR brand in pro sport, helping teams and athletes improve performance and recover faster with their blood flow restriction wearables. 
Built for sport and proven by science. Check out hytro.com to find out more. Also, a huge thank you to Rezzle doing some incredible work in the world of VR. So make sure you go and check them out at Rezzle over on socials. And let's get into episode 273. There's a lead academy sports scientist at Burnley, Simon Whitehead. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 273. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Simon Whitehead. Si, how are we doing? Really well, mate. Yourself? I'm very good, thank you, mate. Very good. Happy New Year. And you. I think it's probably a long time coming. It was probably some of that was uh, planted the seed in 2023, wasn't it? But yeah, I'm glad to be on and uh, yeah, really looking forward to it, mate. Well, I, I did invite co-host Jordan Tyra on because I know you know Jordan well. Yeah. Um, but I think he's got a hair haircut or some sort of excuse to <laughs> yeah. to get out of it. But no, I know I'm he's got it. Like <laughs> I know he's got it. He's missing this one because it, it would have been a good chance to catch up. But we'll hopefully do another one um, in the coming few months as well. But Sai, just kick us off, mate. People will see on video where you're at currently if, if yeah. you're checking that out. But do you want to just take us back through your career, give us a little insight into what you've done? No, absolutely. I think for me, uh, it's come full circle because I'm really, really passionate about what I do. And I think I knew that from an early age. Um, so from that perspective, I was quite lucky in terms of I knew what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go with it. Um, so like most people within the industry, um, came out of uh, sixth form college uh, and studied sport and exercise science. Having said that, before that, uh, I had a year of, of uh, I guess, uh, what, you, what what used to be called a gap year where I kind of wanted to figure out what course I wanted to do because I felt like when I left college, there was so much interest around, you know, what I was exposed to. I wasn't particularly sure whether I wanted to go down sort of S&C, sports science, even um, like data analysis or, or video analysis. So I kind of had that year to get my thoughts together uh, in that year sort of my PT qualification and a number of other bits that gave me a bit more of a holistic overview of, of what I wanted to embark on. Um, did a little bit of voluntary role. I actually uh, did my did sort of two weeks experience at Burnley at the time. Uh, the first team it was when uh, Eddie Howard, Jason Tindall were here, and um, that really sort of opened my eyes to to day to day life in football. And and then from there, I kind of knew it was sort of sports science, um, sort of physical performance that I wanted to go into. So I. Did my undergrad uh, at Manchester Met uh, in sport and exercise science, and then straight off the back went to Salford um, University of Salford to do my um, masters in SNC, um, and so that was a really enjoyable time. And I think my career started sort of, I guess, in my third year of my undergrad, where I had an opportunity to go work for Berry uh, Football Club, which was really interesting. Worked with some really good people there, um, and it was a real sort of eye opener because although it was a it was an internship, I was juggling study. Uh, again, hectic third year, but also juggling, you know, traveling to Bury at the end of the day, um, and sort of working. So, so from from early on in my career, I kind of understood the demands of, of what's required to, to again work in football. Um, and then from there, did my masters. At the time, my masters came about. I uh, got an opportunity to work for Pro Football Support, so 
going in and, and traveling and networking around the country at, at Cat Three and Cat One clubs within the sort of the, the Premier League work that they do um, in terms of the fitness testing. Uh, and for me, that was a really crucial part of my career and, and something I look back quite fondly, although it's quite hectic and, and you're, you're here, there and everywhere. I think the ability to network and speak to people in the day-to-day roles and you get to see what life's like on the, I guess, on the, on the floor for a lot of people um, at different clubs, some really, really good stuff that goes on. And it kind of allowed me to sort of pick different bits of the things I was seeing uh, and things that resonated with me um, to then to then sort of go on and, and, and do within my within my career. And then uh, alongside pro football support, I got an opportunity to work with uh, local women. Um, so I was, was leading the department there for, for their RTC and, and the development of, of, of the players coming through there. Uh, I was there for the best part of, of a year, maybe two years, and then left to uh, take a role um, with Morecambe Football Club as, as their sort of head of sport, academy sports science. Um, again, was there for, for another two years. Again, different different environment, but really good challenges. Some really good, you know, people that I, I work with there. Um, limited resource and budget, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying that because I think that's a really, really important factor within football that people um, maybe from the outside looking in don't, don't realise. Uh, they see football as like this glamorous, you know, um, uh, environment where where it's all sort of money orientated but i think there's some some really really good work going on from clubs you know up and down the country with with really you know limited resource in comparison to when you look at the cat ones and the and the the premier league sort of clubs of this world um so that that sort of me as a practitioner i I grew a lot there um i think I i took a lot from my time there in terms of making the most out of what you've what you've got and making sure that things that you're putting in place are able to be consistent enough to to take fruition um because I think in, in the industry we're in, there's so many good ideas, concepts, research coming out all the time, but you can't always be at running an optimal. I think you've got to find a level where you you know where you want to go and you know what you want to do. Um, and and you're trying to do that within the best of your ability. Um, and then from there, I went to, I got the, the, the role at, at Fernley. So I came in as lead academy sports scientist and I've, I've been here for the last sort of two years now, um, which again has, has, has been a really, really good, um, and environment to work with some really good people, and I guess just a, the next step in my career at the time, really. So, yeah, holistically, that's where where I've been and where where I am now. Brilliant, mate. I want to bounce back to something that we've probably not spoke about that much because we've talked a lot about internships, picking up experience, um, alongside maybe um, university courses or masters or whatever. But one thing you brought there is the gap year, which I think is really interesting because. There's probably a lot of people that take a gap year of some sort, but on reflection of yours, is there anything you'd have done different? Is there any anything you did you'd have maybe spent more time and effort on or less on? Like what was what would your reflections on that period be? No, I think I think a lot of people take a gap year and they don't really I don't know, maybe maybe people people might think differently, but a lot of people take a gap year to sort of get away from education and sort of have a have a year to themselves. Whereas I was always in the mindset of right, my career is going to last a long time and I want to make sure that that I know what I want to do and I don't jump into anything with two feet that I'm not too sure about and that I then later sort of um, changed my mind or wasn't quite the right fit. So, so so from my perspective, it was more just about reaching out to people, trying to gain experience um, alongside like paid work, trying to upskill myself, um, you know, in terms of doing my personal training you know, qualification, which was just kind of like a lead on from, the level two that I'd done during during my time at sort of sixth form and college. So it was more just about me refining what I wanted to do. And I think 
a lot of times you're pushed into right, leave college, get your UCAS points, jump straight into jump straight into uni. Right after that, you need to go and get yourself a you know post grad you know job or or jump onto on, onto you know higher education course. But for me, it was always about just knowing that what I wanted to do was was what I wanted to do because I think that's that's the pinnacle of any anyone's career, no matter whether you're in sport or, or otherwise. I think if you enjoy what you do. And you can wake up every morning knowing that you're going into something that that really excites you and gets you out of bed. I think that there's there's a lot of um, success to be had and, and a lot of joy to be had in that, as opposed to doing something because it pays the bills or because. And don't get me wrong, a lot of people have to do that, and that, and that's that, I guess that's part of life. But I think if you if you if you had the option and you asked anyone, I'm pretty sure that they'd want to do something that they had a real passion for and a real interest in, because then you know, like in our industry, work doesn't always feel like work when you're. When you're doing something that you're so so keen and so interesting, so I think on reflection, my gap year was again quite um, a bit of an analysis for me, really, <laughs> in terms of figuring out what I wanted to do and making sure that, that decision was right, not only from the type of uni that I wanted to go to, because at one point I wasn't even sure if I wanted to go to uni. So again, that yeah. was a big thing. Um, so making sure that everything was kind of right, and again, you make mistakes along the way. You're not always going to get it right, but I think it's just giving yourself the best chance. You know, if you if you're going to go and invest time, money, effort, energy into um, a degree you want to make sure that that's or you know something that that really interests you i think you made a great point because especially if we're looking at this if we call it the industry in terms of that could cover a wide variety in football couldn't it but if we're looking at yeah. sports science um stretching right out to analysis to physio there's so many different pathways you could take isn't there with this interest yeah. in physical performance and how that's impacted and players on the pitch so I think no, it's a really good point to bring up and something that we've probably not touched on enough in terms of people, we've said about people getting experience, but a lot of time we talk about experience on the podcast is talking about what you spoke about before, getting experience at different levels, different resources, different clubs. I know you've got in, um, experience in the male and the, and the um, female side of the game as well. So there's that experience and then there's experience of the different roles as well, isn't there? And I think yeah. you've done a good job in terms of like, um, looking back on that, and I think it's a great bit of advice for coaches to try and stretch that out across that period of time and pick up as much as they can. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in there's no such thing as a bad experience because I think everything that you go through shapes you one way or another. Yeah. You know, you do have bad experiences, but, you know, you always learn from them and, and you're able to sort of recognise them when they might be coming along again and, and make different decisions or, or or try different things that, that maybe have worked for you in the past or not worked for you in the past. So, I think for me, when I look back at where I've been and what I've done over the last maybe 10 years, I think there's so much that I wouldn't change because, and although it's hard at times, you know, when I was at, you know, Liverpool Women in the evening, I was obviously working during the day and it was kind of, you know, you're doing a lot of travelling, a lot of, you know, sort of hectic to and fro in at, at different places. But but what it did was it shaped sort of me and my role as a practitioner. I think it developed me so much in terms of my soft skills and, and the ability to work with different people from different backgrounds, you know, religions, countries, not just players, but staff, um, parents. And I think when you're only exposed to a real niche, you know, part of football or maybe the same demographic, the same age group, you know, for, for multiple years, I think you can often get into that, that I wouldn't say a rut, but that, that mould of, of only dealing with certain elements of football. I think where I've been and what I've done has enabled me just to, just to see things from a different perspective and, and see things from from various perspectives, whether that be like you say, the male game, the female game, um, you know, sort of anything from under nines all the way through to first team football. 
um, it, it's just enabled me to have a bit more of a holistic approach. And that's something that I'd massively advise anyone to go and do. You know, a lot of people, I don't call it snobbery, but a lot of people look at certain roles and think, no, it's not for me or, mm, you know, it's not quite what I want to do. What I would say is that, that just go and do it, especially mm -hmm. from an early age or, or from an early, you know, early on in your career, go and do it. Because even if you go into it and you absolutely hate it, at least, you know, there's, there's the, the things you can learn along the way, but you also know that's not where you want to go in the future. So I think you're not always going to get the role that you want or the role that, you know, is best designed for you. But if you can go and experience different things and, and real, really sort of have a look at it, you know, from, from different perspectives, I think there's a, there's a lot to be taken from that. I also think just to add to that, you get the perspective of that practitioner in that role, don't you? So if you go in yeah. working with a physio saying you never have any intentions of being a physio, you, your intentions are more sports science, S and C, you understand their demands more, don't you? Because if you spend a bit of time with them, you'd be like, oh, well, I'd do this differently. But yeah, but you, what you're not taking into account is all these other things that they're having to deal with throughout the day. Yeah. And that could that could stretch out to anyone, couldn't it, at a club? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, knowing, especially where I am now, um, you know, at, at, here at Burnley, in terms of the part we've got, you know, I think that's a real strength of ours in terms of understanding the demands of what everyone's going through and, you know, whether it be physios having to assess players or, you know, um, whatever it might be, you know, the analysts having to sort of pluck out individual clips and, and things like that. You understand the amount of work it takes to, to sort of bring it all together. And I think sometimes, you know, previously in my career, you know, when I was sort of less experienced and, and sort of done less, you don't really appreciate that. You just think, you know, you're just part of, you're part of a bigger clog, but you don't understand what goes on in the bigger clog. So I think, you know, from that perspective, it is it is really good because you, you sort of start to empathize with people. You can relate to people going back to the soft skills I was talking about, you start to understand people better. And I think when you understand people um, and, you, and you can relate to people, I think there's the real success in that. One thing I'm really keen to get into, which we spoke about before um, on a few calls that we've had, and I think people will take a hell of a lot from this. You've talked about moving into different roles. And one thing I wanted to bring up was the considerations that you make when moving into a new role. So if you could give us that in terms of, it doesn't have to be in order of priority or anything like that, but in terms of if a role comes available, what are some of the things that you're considering? And just to add on to that as well, how that has transitioned through your career from early on picking up the first role to like the last few roles that you've had. Yeah, I think for me, again, early on in, the, in my career, that the role that came available at you know at Berry was something I had to apply for um, while I was at uni. You know, regard it wasn't just something that you walk into. So, I think my first role in football was really really key. And at that point, I'd have probably taken anything just because you know it's your first break. You just want to get in inside football and have a look at what it is. But I think you know looking back, my at my early stage of my career, one of my biggest considerations was that network. I think when you stand up, when when you when you start out, you don't have that. You know, you don't have you know, experience or or um, the ability to sort of know different people in the industry, to lean on them, to to ask for advice. You know, when you when you sort of in academia and you, and you're coming from from a university degree, you know, it's quite a, quite a a small world. So my first role, especially when I then moved to pro football, thought was just how can I expose myself to many different roles, many different responsibilities, different perspectives, different clubs, different you know areas of the country, and that really gave me you know, a really good insight into that. So early on in my career, it was just about, for me, about, you know, how, how can I, you know, network and and look at, I guess, the industry as a whole and then pick, you know, the best bits or, or the bits that I would like to take with me through my career. 
and then sort of it came to a point where I was doing a lot of traveling. I was doing a lot of sort of bits of work, uh, if you want to call it that, and you know, at different clubs and, and different things. And then um, me and my wife, my now wife, um, had our first child, um, which is obviously for anyone out there with kids, is a, is a huge game change, you know, game changer in terms of this career and the demands that this place is. So the first thing I wanted to do is sort of limit the amount of little bits of jobs I wanted to do. I wanted to sort of have have somewhere to call home, if you like. Uh, have a have a job that was that was challenging that was going to stretch me as a practitioner um, but also that was consistent you know in terms of I'd not have to travel you know up and down the country constantly you know you know knowing that that we had our, our first child on the way so um, when I then took my role sort of at Morecambe that was something that was staple although there was still travel involved I knew you know day to day week to week that that it was fairly consistent and then from there you know having a family uh, you know and, and and the demands that it places on you at home was just about what's next for me in my career. So then it was just about my development. Then it was about developing me as a practitioner from what I've, what I've done, where I was at in my personal life, and then trying to find a role that's, that's still going to stretch me. Cause I think, I don't, I don't think there's ever a role that won't stretch you, but I do think there's like a process that you might want to go through in terms of to, to, to enjoy the journey of, of where you want to go. I think if you go from the bottom right to the top, I think there's a lot to be, lot to be missed. You know, not that that happens very often, but I think just enjoying that journey and that sort of step-by-step process of, of, of maybe increasing the demands or increasing the, the amount of responsibility you've got within your role um, is huge. Then obviously when, the, when the, the job at Burnley came available, it was just, for me, it was about going from, at the time, a Cat 3 club to a Cat 1, which was obviously a jump for me. Um, it was a jump in terms of responsibility because it was it was going from, I guess leading leading the department in uh, at Morecambe and, and leading the department in terms of with, with limited resource and and all the rest of it and, and and trying to to best get out what we wanted from from a sports science perspective there to then applying and using that but in maybe in a, in a more um, concentrated uh, capacity here you know so primarily I was working with the youth team at, at the time the 18s um, and just drawing all them experiences from from my previous roles to be able to then be the Best version of me in that role um, and I think for, so as I've gone through my career the priorities in terms of the roles have changed um, but there's always a common theme I think in terms of you wanting to to develop yourself as a practitioner and develop yourself as a person to then be the best version of of the practitioner that you want to be um, so yeah I think from that perspective that's sort of my I guess sort of journey or, or, or mindset when I was looking for, for various roles. No I love that I think that's a great insight into it and before I say this I want to highlight the fact that I realised that football is continuously chaotic and it's an environment that changes all the time. You have to be adaptable. We've talked about this a lot. But yeah. speaking to a lot of people and speaking to yourself as well, I kind of see that with careers, they can start super chaotic in terms of the amount of roles that you just take. Like you said about the Berry opportunity, you take an opportunity, you then take the next opportunity and then you work out how that stacks in with that first one. Then you take the third one. And then yeah. gradually you get into a position like you're in now, and like I know you had at Morecambe as well, that is more settled in terms of you know where you're going at the right time. I understand there's still a lot going on, isn't there? But yeah. that seems to be the way, the pathway for a lot of people, isn't it? That you, you yeah. take on as much as possible. And when any younger coaches listening, I think this is still great advice. Take on yeah. as much as you can, soak up as much in those early years, which then leads into these different opportunities. And I thought you you highlighted that and summarised it really nicely. And I think that's what that's essentially what a lot of coaches' journeys 
they're similar, aren't they, in that regard? 100%. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, at the time, you don't really think too much about the opportunities that you get put in front of you because you'll take them all. Yeah. You know, everyone's different in terms of the personal life. But, you know, when, you, when you're at uni and you just come out of uni, you don't really have too much going on, do you? You know, it's no. you're time free. You know, you, you're full of energy. You're full of desire to want to go and experience, you know, um, life in whatever you've, you've trained to go and do. So from that perspective, you don't really think about, well, oh, hang on a minute, that means me working 15 hour days, or that, you know, that means that I'm not gonna have any weekend. You don't think about that because you just wanted to succeed in the role and you wanted to learn, you know, as you go. And then I think as you transition, like you said, to maybe where I am now, you know, of course my priority is my career in terms of where I want to go and what I want to do on a daily basis, but there's so much more to me as an individual now than maybe, you know, like you say, eight, ten years ago. Whereas now it's, you know, I do have a family at home. You know, I do want to, you know, be able to juggle my time, you know, optimally to be able to spend as much time as I can with them. You know, my son's nearly, you know, five now, so he's getting to a stage where he's getting into football and things like that. And you want to be around for those experiences as well. Whereas previously, it's always like before kids and, and you know, getting a house and everything else was, you know, I'm, I'm time free. I'm ready to rumble. I've just come out of uni, like, let's go. And um, I think having that mindset, if you can juggle multiple things from, from an early age, it just, it just means that you you're refining your ability to manage time, manage workload, speak to different people. Um, you know, I, I, I just think there's there's no there's no harm in that. Um, you know that that ability to to really home in on on what you want to do, and then as you go, like you say, you just figure it out, don't you? You just you just kind of think, well, this is getting a bit much now, so I'll drop that. But I've got an opportunity over there which I'll I'll maybe invest more time in, and, and you just kind of everyone's path different, like I said, but. I think you you find just your own way of, of 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 progressing through through your career really, and I think if you work you work hard enough and and you and you do the right things and and you and you commit to what you want to do, I think although it's a very difficult industry to I guess to get into first and foremost, but then to also I guess progress in, I think the opportunities are there for people that that are willing to to willing to do the work. Just on reflection, some of the content we posted on our online community at the back end of 2023 was probably some of the most well-received presentations and webinars that we've posted so far. So you need to go and check them out. You can sign up to a free 30-day trial to go and check out all these presentations and webinars. We uploaded a webinar by Brem Rosenblatt on Secrets of High Performers. So that's available as well as a webinar by Sam Bowring, who's head of sports science at Doncaster Rovers. And then both of the presentations from our event down at Battersea FSCR, which is a great evening. And we had Sam Peeps present on isometrics as well as Sam Portland presenting on developing speed. So they are available. You can also check out previews on our YouTube page as well. But I urge you to go and watch them because there's been some great feedback on those presentations, an unbelievable amount to learn and some great experience from these practitioners. So go and check it out. Go to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab. You can sign up to a free 30-day trial there. Once you've had your 30-day trial, you become a full member of our online community and you get invited into our members-only WhatsApp group where we have discussions every week on different topics. Um, this this week has been around programming after a busy period. So like we've had the Christmas period in the UK where there's a lot of fixtures. We're now talking about how we program 
um, after that period, whether we give players rest, um, what the gym programming looks like going into the new year. So there's always great discussions going on. There's job opportunities that pop up in there as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Simon Whitehead. I wanted to move on to kind of what you mentioned there in terms of a real insight into your day-to-day, the demands on yeah. you. Um, so what does that look like for you? Can you can you summarise that and then we might jump into a bit more detail? Yeah, so I essentially um, lead the sports science department here from, from under nines through to uh, the 21s. So my day-to-day role is, is primarily with the under-21s, which for anyone out there, uh, within football working with under-21s, I sympathise with you because it's probably the most chaotic, um, I guess, age group because there's so many moving parts. We've got lads who are on loan, lads up with the first team, you know, 18s training up with us and so many moving parts. So my day-to-day, I guess, is to organise first and foremost, you know, the day itself. So what time are the lads doing doing what, diff- you know, different bits, whether it's pre-ab training, you know, lunch analysis, sort of almost doing the scheduling. The lads know what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. It'll be to arrange a session with the coaches. So planning out what we want to get out of the day in relation to where we are within our, our sort of microcycle. Um, and then on that, so I'd look after all the periodization for, for the PDP. So looking again, very much reflecting the model that the first team used, which was a transition we had to make, obviously, when the, the manager came in. Um, but I think it's obviously been a positive one and it, it was it was um something that the model we're using now is, is something that wasn't here in the past but it's something that everyone's had to adapt to i think again things like that that happen within your career i think is is really crucial because again you just got to learn on the job but you know it's not always going to be a certain way forever there's going to be a point where it changes even if you don't change club the club will change um so i'll do all the, the periodization in terms of scheduling that for the pdp um obviously then the delivery elements so delivering you know pre-hab activation individual elements um you know, warm up on pitch, uh, physical development and prep. Um, then manage obviously all the data uh, live on the pitch for training, um, and then obviously downloading of the data and, and and reporting on that, which is something that I think we've refined over time um, to, to best, I guess, best use. I think data is obviously a big, big hot topic. It's a, it's a big subject, but I think being able to use what you have available is, is obviously crucial. So. Yeah, I guess a lot of different different roles are moving parts, but essentially just just overseeing the physical development of of all the players here, but primarily within the PDP. You know, we've got uh, Will Carlos, who's our uh, head of sports science and medical, um, who obviously oversees um, the the academy as a whole. But in terms of the day to day running of the PDP and and, and some of the YDP, um, that sort of falls on, on my shoulders to to run, schedule, organise in line with with the periodization model that that we have here at the club. What would you say your um, schedule's like in terms of the days you're in? I know this changes a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Times you, you get into the training ground, times you're leaving. I know, again, that can change, but what? how would you summarise that? Yeah, like I say, it's, it's really varied. I think the under-21 schedule's like no other because, you. well, I say like no other, it's 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 really close to first-team football just because you play on, you could be playing on a Friday, Tuesday, Saturday. You, you could be playing on various days, whereas I think, the under 18s you know around the country have a pretty regimented schedule in that they'll play every saturday they may have a, a midweek game on a on a tuesday but in terms of our schedule it could, it could literally look different every single week um so i think it's really important here that you know in clubs i've been at in the past 
the twenty ones will just have to follow the first team schedule. Like that's just the way it is because um, if the first team need players or they need to to do whatever, then the, the first team have got the lads on hand. But I I feel like that's it's obviously a hot it's open to discussion. But I think at some point you have to do what's right for, for the players as well in terms of giving them you know some form of stability. Um, just because you know as you, as you can imagine. It, you know, for people out there, if if you're you as a player are just being you're being dictated to essentially, you're being told when you need to be and you're being told when you need to be off. Um, you know, when you've got games, etc. And I think just to get uh, so we what we try and do is is where possible try and get them a Wednesday off just so that they, which isn't always possible by any means, but if we can just sort of try and align that and regiment that, then at least in the players' heads they know, okay, well I've got I've got that day to myself or I've got that day to myself. So we try and give the lads the, the schedules in advance as well. Um, which I think is big, and and we've had loads of sort of positive feedback from that from the players and twenty ones I'm talking about here, um, just so that they they've got an overview because they've got their own lives as well. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not a case of they're just the slaves to the club. It's it's like that they are people, they're human beings at the end of the day, like anyone else. So I think them having an understanding of what the schedule looks like, you know, when we're and when we're off, yeah, I think you're going to get more sort of buying and and more out of them as well. Um, so I mean, typically, you know. We'll be in five, mostly those six days a week um, in terms of the players. Um, and then within that, you know, we as staff arrive sort of, quarter, well, I get in for about quarter to eight in the morning. Um, you know, we'll have meetings and that in the morning. Then we'll train, double gym in the afternoon uh, or analysis or, or other individual elements. And then I'll probably get away from here at five, six o'clock, something like that most days. But I think within the department we've got, what we've tried to do is, is try and eliminate that you're in work and you'll just leave, you know, first in, last out sort of mentality because what we want to do is just condense the amount of work people are doing to, to really get the, the quality out of what, what, they're, what they're doing. So if we've got, you know, staff that are, are primarily working with the with the younger age groups in an evening, you know, they might not come in on a certain day, maybe to lunchtime, just so that they, as a, as a, as a, as a human being away from the club, have got time to maybe go and do with the family or take the kids to school in the morning and then and then turn up to work and still still gonna be working nine ten hour a day mm-hmm. it just means that it's not coming in work for the sake of coming into work so just trying to strike that balance as well i think has been it's been a good thing here um in terms of recognizing where we could just basically be more efficient um with, with, with staff and just just not having everyone in the building just for the sake of it you know if people have got things to do by all means yeah come in and crack on but if you're someone that maybe might just primarily work with YDP or or, or FP uh, foundation phase, then you know there's not really any need for you to be in at eight in the morning unless there was a you know some a big meeting or, or something that you really have to be in for. So again, I think that way you get more more energy, more output from the staff that are in the building, and ultimately then that rubs off on the players. So um, yeah. No, I think it's a great breakdown. I think it's one of those things, isn't it? And I suppose there's a fine line between everything we've talked about before with um, coaches a bit younger in their careers in terms of just picking up experiences and essentially putting time into it to what you just spoke about there. And it's great to hear a club like that doing that where they're saying that productivity is the main thing and it's not a case of being first in, last out. And I think that's that's a great way to go. And I suppose there's, there's again, this sort of transition, isn't there, for practitioners that when you are younger, you probably do need to be seen around the place a lot. And I know a lot of people spoke about that on the podcast that they would, they were at clubs that were in internship roles and they were spending extra time at the club, yeah. which I think is important. But when you're in a, a job 
like or a position like yours or many others i think it is important to be productive isn't it once you're there rather than yeah. just being there for the sake of it no 100 i think like I say i think that's something that's evolved because i think you know if i look back you know in, in the years gone by i think it is just everyone turns into work at the same time and then everyone sort of like leaves when the day's done yeah but if you break down like the amount of work that people are actually doing in that time you know if you're not planning or delivering there's going to be there are going to be you know gaps in the day where you could be doing stuff and if you were to work around the clock then you know eventually like anything it's going to get too much you're going to you know you're not going to be able to to give as much as you should be able to do so i think just managing that and refining that is is obviously a big thing and um i think we we will see i think in the future uh potentially you know those type of roles where it is more you know being when you have to be in and, and you can maybe work from home or do your planning away from the club just to allow allow people that that balance i think and um I think that's something that's really, really important. I know when we were messaging the other morning, you were getting a gym session in at ridiculous o'clock in the morning. So you obviously yeah. do a bit of training before you get into it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I train um, early doors. So I'll, I mean, my typical day is I'll sort of get up at quarter past, half past five, maybe be in the gym for quarter to six, train for an hour at a gym, you know, near me. And I do have access to the work gym. It's just personal preference, really, in terms of I know when I'm at work, my mind starts to switch. And yeah. I'm sort of thinking about work and we're talking about work. So, yeah, and then I'll leave I'll leave for work. My commuting is about, you know, 50 minutes to, to an hour maybe. Um, and then getting work and, and then crack on. And then at least I know then, you know, in terms of for my own my own training and my own exercise sort of routine that, that when I go home, I can sort of, I wouldn't say switch off because you never do. Your phone's sort of always pinging about talking about training the next day or, or the game that might be coming up. So it doesn't necessarily stop. But I know I, know I don't need to then park my bags at home and then go back out to the gym or I think that's you know just finding the right balance for you outside of work as well that sort of that routine works for me you know and and, and for others they'll have different routines but I think it's you know I am someone that, that does like my routine and I think that helps me within my day-to-day role as well because I know you know in terms of my schedule it's, it's pretty consistent and I know where my windows are to do you know certain certain elements of my, of my role um, and when I've got certain certain bits of time for myself. I suppose it's the point of like controlling the controllables, isn't it? That you know that your day once you're in there could be yeah. hectic, demanding yeah. in terms of pulling you from left, right, like all over the place essentially. But you're taking charge of your health, your fitness, and also I'm, I'm guessing when you get home as well, family time, all yeah. that sort of stuff as well. So I think that's really important and a great bit of advice for people that the times that you can control, you need yeah. to take back that control, don't you? No, definitely. I think you know, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Ben, when you said, you know, I could get into work and, you know, there could be all sorts going on for that that window I'm in work. But when I'm not in that window at work, you know, I know that that's time that I can control to a degree. Um, so I know that, you know, I can get my gym session in, in the morning. I can, you know, go home, cook tea, spend time with the kids, you know, my wife or, or you know, go and get get out with them, you know, you know, even if it is slightly later on. Um, but I know that that's there for me. I think going back to talk about that work-life balance and, and that, that being in first in, last out, I don't think you're, you're the best version of yourself if you're being sort of controlled by your day. I think if you can control your day to a, to a degree, um, and again, it does require bits of discipline, you know, you know, getting up in the morning, you know, do I want to get up in the morning some mornings, you know, that early? Probably not, but you do it yeah. because I think that discipline is really, really important. And I think if you're talking to players and um and, and aspiring athletes about discipline and about consistency and, and things like that I think for them to, to understand that that you also practice that maybe in a slightly different way to them 
um, is really, really important because again, it gives you it gives you sort of common ground to relate to as well. Hundred uh, percent, fully agree with that. I want to just pick up on something else you mentioned before around data. It's something we spoke about a lot, um, and I know it's it's something you do in your role as well. In terms of obviously, we collect data, we present data back, we analyze it, but in the other side of it, in terms of how it informs practice, what have been some of the lessons that you've taken over the last few seasons and also the roles of really making it making it impactful for the work that you do? Yeah, so I think data is a really interesting subject because it can tell you so much. Um, and I know that sounds really, really like basic and really, you know, a bit cliche, but I think in years gone by, it's almost been a bit of a taboo because not everyone's comfortable with data. Not everyone understands it. And I think when we're talking about this, not only within our department, I guess, uh, but, but the wider, again, coaches, analysts, whatever it might be, whoever might be, be you know, being reported back to via data. Not everyone felt, felt or has always felt comfortable with it. So I think it's something that's evolved over time and, and how happy people are to talk about it. You know, a lot of, in my early sort of years, data sometimes would be dismissed, you know, because of X or because of Y. And, and I think a lot of that is people not, feeling comfortable with it so i think we've got come to a point now where you know upskilling people who aren't familiar with data within within the club within the role with wherever you are i think is really really important because i do feel like it can have so much value um not just physically but you know whether it be well-being data whether it be data on you know from the performance analyst whatever it is i think data should be used you know first and foremost to, to try and understand um you know where you are, where you want to go, and inform decisions. But again, like anything, it has has to be contextual. So that's where coach's eye comes in and, and experience. And um, I think where where data is going, you know, it, it's it's quite scary because it's it's taking off so fast. And from where it was ten years ago to where it is now, to where it might be in another ten years, who knows? Um, but I think there's 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 real there's real value to to using the data. And I think for a long time, you know. And again, sometimes it comes down to resource. I think every club you speak to um, or you've been at will collect data in some in some form or in some capacity. But I think the real key detail is how that's used and how it's how it's um, implemented within within I guess your department, within each age group, within each um, individual to really sort of gain the best from them. So, in terms of the way I've seen it be used in the past or how I use it now, yeah, it's probably very very different. But I think. The processes that you have to put in place to be able to be able to best use the data is, is also something that that is probably overlooked. It doesn't just happen that you you collect data and start to to report on it really really well. I think you have to find what you want to report on, how you want to you know relay that, whether it's in number form, in graph form, in visual form, ho however that is. What what metrics you want to look at? You know, are there any that that so for example, we would report um, our game data to the coaches in in with just sort of like key metrics, whereas in-house sort of within our department, we have each player a player profile, which will give both absolute and relative data. So if we're looking at, you know, rehabs, we can sort of get into the, the nitty gritty of how this player is relative to themselves, as opposed to it just being a blanket um, approach in terms of, especially when we're looking at, I don't know, zone five and six act cells and D cells, we're now able to sort of contextualize them within our department. So again, as a coach, you're probably not going to be that, you might be interested, but it's not really a necessity or it's not real a need for them to understand that data. But if we're looking at it within our department, I think we're quite, we're, we're quite good at, at relaying it in different ways to different people. Um, but I think that only happens when, when you sort of know as a club or as a, 
um, as a philosophy, what you want to look at and what you want to dive into. And then it's just about how you how you layer that to different people. And I think we've had more buy-in. I think over the time that I've been using data, I think you get more buy-in by tweaking data for, for who's looking at it, you know, as opposed to just going, here's the report, everyone look at that. Some people are going to be like, you've lost me already. Some people are going to be like, oh, that's interesting. People are going to have certain questions on certain metrics. I mean, I'm just talking GPS here, but again, we have, you know, we report on the lads' S&C programs in terms of how they're progressing with their with their loads and, and where they're at. Uh, readiness testing, so strength diagnostics that they'll do on a weekly basis just to see where they're at. Uh, you know, things like well-being data. There's, there's a whole host of, of data that we collect, but I think we're really getting into the nitty-gritty of how we use it now. And, and again, like I said, using it for different people. So how we report to the players may be different to how we report within a, you know, a sports science and medical meeting. Um, and I think that's how you, you best use it because then you're catering the data to, to the people who are actually intrigued and looking at it, you know, firsthand. A bit of advice from you, because I know the roles that you've mentioned that you've been in. If when mm. if someone's listening now and they're in a club that hasn't got the resources, it might be them by themselves, one-man band sort of thing, and they are wanting to utilise data, what's your advice for them on being really impactful with what they do collect and making sure they're collecting the right things, spending all that valuable time on the, on the right area, compared to someone that is in a position that has got a bit more resource in terms of maybe yeah. a few more staff members free, financial budgets, things like that? Yeah, I think this is going to sound really really basic and it probably isn't the, the glamorous answer people are maybe, maybe thinking about, but I think whatever you're going to collect or whatever you're going to report on, I think it comes down to, it has to be, it has to be valid. It has to be reliable because I, th I think without those two things, what, what, what will the data even mean? You know? Mm -hmm. So I think if you can nail those two things, so if it is a questionnaire, if it is a, whatever, whatever access you have, you know, do a bit of digging, do a bit of, uh, of reading and, and come up with, with the things that are valid and reliable. And then from there, I think it's about consistency. I think it's about, if you are going to collect data and you are going to report on it, don't report on it, you know, twice a week, one week, not the next, four times the week after, because people don't see the value in that. People don't see it doesn't become part of their their weekly, you know, um, their weekly role. Or, or I think if you can consistently churn it out, whether it's once a week, whether it's whatever you can manage in terms of reporting on it and and and, and feeding back to co coaches, players, whatever it is, I think when you become consistent with it and you have the accuracy in terms of the, the validity and reliability of whatever you're collecting, I think that's when people will, will start to take note and, and start to to really um, get on board with data. I think when data is just thrown around and it's quite sporadic and it's it's not really um, collated in a way that that is that is consistent and, and repetitive for people, I think that's when you kind of start to lose people because it, it starts to become just that, like a secondary thing. It starts to become something that's, uh, you know, attached to to X or to Y, but it's not really meaningful because it. I see it one week, but I don't see it the next. And I think whatever you're going to collect, yeah, for me, it's, it's just about being being consistent with, but making sure that what you're collecting is, is what you're collecting, essentially. I always like a bit of a crystal ball analogy, looking to the future, because I think this <laughs> this is really exciting, especially for sports science, isn't it? When we're thinking yeah. about data, we're thinking about AI, we're thinking about even just natural progressions over the next few years. Where do you see that going? You spoke a little bit about like the roles where you see that might be going in a few years' time. In terms of data, and if we're sort of thinking five years, ten years down the line, where do you think we're going to be transitioning to? Uh, and then we'll replay this clip in got? ten years' time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how long you got? Um, no, I think 
like anything, like you mentioned AI there and, and, and I think data in terms of data science now, you know, things like R and Python and, and you know, it, it's it's scary what you can do with it now. Um, I think when we look into the future, I just think we've spent so long in the past, I believe, trying to churn out data. So downloading it, clipping it, you know, putting it into a spreadsheet, making it look pretty. That might take you X amount of time and then you spend this much time looking at it. You know, it, it's not... I think what we have to do is is if we're using data, we want to be essentially want to be looking at the data and making decisions on the data. So I think the less time you can spend collecting it, clipping it, you know, downloading it, all all the things that that are a bit monotonous and but you have to do that you have to go through to get the data. I think yeah. if we're looking in five, ten years time, if that's all streamlined and there's some way of being able to drag the data off a whole host quicker, which by, by the way is is obviously improving, you know, in comparison to to say, I know I keep going back to GPS just because it's the easier thing to use as an analogy, but think about how you used to download and get ripped data off GPS units five, 10 years ago to what they are now. You know, I think they've come a long, long way. And I think you're only going to, that's only going to get quicker. So I think, again, you mentioned AI, whether there's, you know, the ability to to sort of generate reports and, and feedback, you know, you know, I, I don't know is the honest answer where it's going, but it's moving at that, that quick of a rate that I think as long as, people know what they're doing with it um, and, and you don't lose sight of the context. I think that's a big thing. I think, you know, data can, can look one way on a piece of paper, but if you were, you know, if you're talking about match reports and, and you're looking at match-based data, if you weren't at the game, you'd probably have a very different opinion or, or visual versus if you were at the game and you saw the context of it, or I think, don't think you're ever going to lose that that need for a coach's eye or for, for the context behind what you're what you're reporting on. I think the data is great and 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 it'll and it is going to go you know I think a long way in the future. But I think you're always going to have to have that element of a coach's eye and and, and the ability to to give some form of feedback on what the data actually is and how it looks and 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 I guess how you came to to those numbers. Um, I think is, yeah. is an important point. Yeah, I think that's that speed. Speeding up the whole process and giving you more time focusing on what you actually on the impactful side of it is is really yeah. important. And, and essentially, with my limited understanding, I think that's the way you're right. Like even within a few years, I think that's probably going to be the case, isn't it? So no, it's yeah. exciting. So that was class. I think we covered some really good good stuff there. And thank you for opening up on um everything career wise and um everything in terms of what you do in your role now. I think a lot of people take a lot from that. Um, just in terms of if people want to reach out, if they've got questions, uh, where would you direct them? Um, probably Twitter or LinkedIn. So my Twitter is at ST Whitehead, I think. Or again, just just search me on on LinkedIn. And again, this is something I'm massively passionate about. So you know, if anyone does have questions, wants to reach out, you know, whatever it, however big or small it is, you know, I'm always looking to. To reach out to people and network because I think it's a really, really, it's a real strength of of the industry we're in. You know, I think if you look at other industries and, and you know, maybe it isn't as important, but for me, you know, the ability to just to just reach out and ask a question and, and not be afraid to to not know all the answers because I I for one definitely don't. Um, and so I think the ability to reach out to people and and, and network and just ask questions I think is is a real blessing that we have within the industry. So yeah, um, feel free to reach out anytime. Brilliant, mate. Well, thanks a lot for your time. No problem. Great to catch up, Ben. 
Big thanks to Simon for coming on the podcast. Make sure you go and connect with him over on, I still can't say X, but I'm going to have to say it, X or Twitter, ST Whitehead. Go and give him a search and a follow over on Twitter and also on LinkedIn as well. Um, in this one, plenty again to take away from me. I think the thing that we started talking about was the gap year and utilizing that gap year. But I think some of the things that Simon brought up around getting experience in different roles, not necessarily what you think you're going to end up in or want to end up in. Um, I think that was a great bit of advice. No such thing as a bad experience. I fully agree with that. I think there's going to be experiences that you reflect on that, yes, they weren't the most enjoyable, but I think some of those experiences sometimes are, it teaches you the most. Um, even if it's something that you just don't want, it teaches you that you don't want to be involved in that scenario or that environment again I think there's a lot to be taken from that if you stay within your comfort zone within your bubble then you're not going to get exposed to that so I think that was a great bit of advice the importance of building a network Simon mentioned it early on in his career so in the first few roles trying to get around other practitioners and having conversations obviously we're going to talk about that because that is a big part of our, our business and what we do but it comes up time and time again with, with our guests and people that we speak to, and especially for young coaches, get build yourself a network, a network of different experiences. It doesn't have to be in football. Um, I don't think it can be in a variety of different sports and roles, but the network, people that you can reach out to in a time of need is really, really important. The changing schedule. So where we talked about, I wanted to give a bit of a day in the life of a lead academy sports scientist, which I think Simon did really well. Um, like I mentioned on the episode, it, it synced in really nicely because one of the times I was messaging before the podcast was quite early in the morning, let's just say that, and we were both in the gym. Um, but that just showed that Simon was getting his session in before he started work, taking control of that time that he can. And that's the, the other lesson for me, is controlling the parts of the day that you can. Obviously, within football, it's chaotic. There's going to be a lot of things going on. Um, there's there's a, a lot of plates to keep spinning um, within all different roles but there are times of the day where you probably can take more control back and especially early in the morning before work probably late at night um, they're the, the key times um, and I think it's really important that you, you take that back and utilize those as well so I hope you enjoyed the episode as always thank you for listening um, everyone that subscribed thank you for subscribing if you're not subscribed Make sure to subscribe, tap the subscribe on Spotify, YouTube, and also iTunes, because then you get the podcast episode delivered into your inbox every single week. So make sure you check that out. If you've not left us a review, please do so. It's simply a click of the five stars on Spotify. Um, leave us a comment on the YouTube, because that always helps. And on the iTunes, if you could click the five stars and leave us a short comment, that would be massively helpful. And one last thing before you go, please go and show some love and support to our sponsors, The Good Prep, Hytro and Rezzle, all on social media. Go and check them out, doing some amazing work and supporting this podcast, helping us deliver an episode every single week. So again, thank you for listening. I hope 2024 has started well for you. And I'll speak to you again next week for episode 274.